Awesome. Grab your Bible. Open it to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I want you to think for a minute with me about all of the things and all of the people that have asked you to trust them recently. Okay? You can put it in a COVID context. You can put it in a cultural one. You can do whatever. But I think recently, especially during COVID, we've been asked to trust a lot. So think about both political parties. They want you to trust them, don't they? Their ideas are better than the other party. The other party is better than the other one. And they want you to fully trust them, whichever you choose. By the way, it doesn't really matter, actually. Dr. Fauci wants you to trust him. Explicitly. You know who else wants you to trust them? Ford, Dodge, Toyota, Honda, Nissan. Right? My, our car's the best. Got to trust them. Your spouse wants you to trust them. Now, that's a good thing, right? Amen. They should get your trust. China wants you to trust that all their products are fully trustworthy. Your kids want you to trust them so that they can stay out past 1 a.m. A group of people in my life this year, a group of people in my life asked me to trust that a subpar quarterback and a good defense could take them to the Super Bowl. Didn't work out so well. Some of you in this room had some people that asked you to trust that they even had an offense and a defense, and that wasn't the case either. Amen. It's true. One scientist wants you to trust their science, another scientist wants you to trust their science, and we're kind of stuck in the middle. Which idea should we trust? The CDC and the FDA want you to trust them. Facebook and Google want you to trust that their algorithm always has your best interest at heart. And every marketing plan everywhere in the world that's on your phone and on your TV and on your social media wants you to trust that their product is better than their competitors. Oh, and also, God wants you to trust him. And so I believe that where you and I are at right now in 2022 as we start a new year is we're in a trust war. We're being asked on all different sides of our life, and it seems like in every aspect in every arena, to trust something. Everyone and everything wants us to trust them, and most of the time for their gain, not our own. So we're all working on trust. We're all trying to trust. We're trying to trust the Lord. And have you ever noticed this about trusting the Lord, that sometimes there's a certain area of your life that you're like, I really trust the Lord in this area. Like, I'm totally on board. I get it. I get why God wants me to trust him. I understand his word in this area of my life. But this area over here, I'm still working on. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? That we're there. We're, this, is, this is something we're working on. It's going to be a lifelong process. And so I want to talk about this journey of trust. Because 
I believe and am beginning to think as I look at the world that we live in that as believers, we are being challenged daily with who and what we are trusting in almost every area of our life, every small little thing to every large big thing. And we have to decide, am I gonna trust God or am I gonna trust the influences of the world around me? And I believe that trusting God is very important and is becoming more and more difficult at the same time. Therefore, it's also very important for us as believers in Christ to understand why we are called to trust the Lord and what God's word says about every single area in our life that he asks us to trust him in. And here's why. Because I believe that it's so important that we understand that, that we're gonna, we're gonna answer one question for the rest of this year. Do I trust God? So I'm gonna endeavor to preach an entirely different way in 2022. We're gonna answer one question all year. Do I trust God? It's a big question, right? I talked to some men that I do a little Bible study about recently, and I told them what we were doing, and we are going to talk about this on Sunday. And one of them said, well, you picked an easy question. That's like, might as well just come right out of the gate, huh? Do I trust God? Now, let me tell you why one of the reasons I'm doing this. It goes all the way back to when Kate and I were 18 years old. When Kate and I were 18 years old, we went to a youth conference in Dallas, Texas. That was where I discovered everything is bigger in Texas. It's true. The hamburgers were bigger. The arenas were bigger. The streets were bigger. The trucks were bigger. Everything was bigger. It was great there. Kate and I decided, um, or maybe I did. I can't even remember if we both went or just I went. But I went to a breakout session with a young man named Ricky Temple. He was a young pastor at the time, influential pastor. And uh, his, his breakout session was about biblical relationships and purity in those relationships. It's a great talk. Uh, and uh, just felt a really strong connection to, to him as he teached and he taught. And um, he was a great teacher, African-American man. So just really diving into the word and digging stuff out of it. And I just loved that. And a year later, I found myself at Bible college and just kind of, you know, and here I am now almost, almost 26, 27 years later, Kate and I have been serving in full-time ministry. Well, a couple years ago during COVID, just during the middle of COVID, um, the Lord brought that gentleman, that gentleman back to my mind. And so um, just went online, watched one of his messages, kind of thought it was interesting and decided, I think I'll email him. And so I did. I emailed him and he immediately emailed me back. Now, let me remind you, this is a pastor of a church of about 15,000 people in Savannah, Georgia. He's probably fairly busy. He emailed me right back. Since that time, about a year and a half ago, we've been talking about every other week. And one of the things that he has been challenging me in is deeper discipleship. 
And one of the ways that he preaches and teaches is they ask one question a year and they dive really deep, really fast, really long. And so that's the journey that I'm asking you to go on the rest of this year. I picked this question based on my prayer time and what I believe the Holy Spirit was telling us. And based on what I believe the Holy Spirit has noticed in our culture and in our world and in the Northwest is fairly difficult for you and I, and that is being challenged on a regular basis, and that is, do I trust God in every single area of my life? Now think with me for a moment. This question has lots of layers. It's multifaceted. It's very complex, but it applies to nearly every area of your life. It applies to your family structure, to your marriage, to gender constructs, to identity, your finances, government, leadership, how you treat your enemy, the words that you're supposed to use throughout the day, jokes that are funny and jokes that are inappropriate, relationships and our roles in them, sex, wisdom and foolishness, knowledge and education, science, healing, the future, eternity, anxiety and depression, peace, love, war, parenting, suffering, the workplace, all of it depends and changes based on one thing. Do I trust God? All of it. And so guess what we're going to try to do? Look at whether or not I trust God in all those areas of my life and we'll dive deep into marriage into sexual purity, into how I'm supposed to act at the workplace, how I'm doing with anxiety and depression, my finances, the leaders that I allow to be in my life, and how I treat my enemy. All of it depends on how deeply or shallowly I trust my Savior. All these things are affected by how I trust God. Now, here's what I've come to discover, and this is going to go on the screen, so this is kind of like the first thing if you want to write it down. Life will have very different outcomes based on the answer to this question, do I trust God? Now, I've discovered that over 48, almost 49, because my birthday's coming close, years of life that my life completely changes. The outcome in my life completely changes on whether I trust God or not. For instance, this may sound silly, but it's true. How much money I have in my savings account depends on whether I trust God's idea about finances from his word or my ideas about finances. See? So let me, let me help you with that. God's word says what? Save. What does Mark's way of financing say? Buy a boat. Of course. Buy a new boat and make a big payment. That's what Mark says. But God's word says, no, you need some money in savings so that when your tire falls off your car, you have some money to pay for that. When the hot water heater goes out, you've got some money to deal with that. When you have an extra bill, you have some money to deal with that. 
When your daughter comes in the room and says, Dad, I'm getting married, and you pick yourself up off the floor, you can pay for a wedding. I mean, these are the, this is why God says, save, right? That drastically changes the outcome of my life based on whether or not I trust God and trust his word. Completely changes everything. Now, as we study about God's word, and as we study about how God wants us to live, we will also be answering another question behind the scenes at the same time. And that question is this one. Should we trust the philosophy and conclusions of men, of ourselves? Should we trust what we think, what we believe? Now, historically, we could answer this question with an emphatic no. Say, Pastor Mark, how? Let me give you a couple. For thousands of years, we thought the world was flat. Drive your boat out there and... Flat. And if you didn't believe the world was flat, they could actually kill you. It's a big deal. We've thought in the past as humans, because we're so smart, that there's really only one perfect race and all the rest should be killed. So not a great idea, but here's another one. This one happened in the Middle Ages. The next two, actually, they're really great. There was a time in the Middle Ages, about 150 years, where animals could commit crimes. And an animal, your animal, would actually need to get a lawyer, go to trial, and could go to jail, jail time, for your cat. Now, I think all cats should be in jail, but that's a different story for a different time. Here's another one. You ready for this one? This one's hilarious. There was a time, about 400 years, most of Europe and parts of Asia believed that little tiny humans, fully developed, really, really, really tiny humans lived in sperm. And when a man and a woman got together, that little, tiny, fully developed human started to grow in a mother's womb. Here's another one that we believed for a long, for a long time. Evil spirits lived in Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I mean, that is so dumb. Like, we all know that evil spirits live in broccoli. I mean, come on, who, who would think that? Now, here's an idea that we thought for thousands of years. Babies could not feel pain. Literally. This was actually a medical, scientific idea for thousands of years that babies could not feel pain. So when you circumcise them and they screamed in horror, it was some sort of uh, natural joyful response at the time. Here's something we thought for a long time. Actually, we've thought this for some people still think this. Men are better than women. Light-skinned people are better than dark-skinned people. And we, we've thought a lot of crazy things. Think about this with me. These are things that just in the past 100 years, just 100 years ago, right here in our own backyard in the United States, the following things were common. 
Leeches were used regularly in daily medical practice. So when you went to your doctor 100 years ago and said, I got this headache, it won't, it won't go away. I, I got just the thing. Hold on, get, let me get my, my leeches over here. We're going to suck some blood out of your arm, and it'll take care of that headache right away. Common medical practice. KKK rallies and parades were just normal common, common scenes in our culture. Public executions were common. 100 years ago, almost every product we used in our country was made by child labor. Mental health care was diabolically scary and almost always ended in the death of the individual. Women couldn't vote. Racism was taught in school. And I don't mean like minor ideas of racism. I mean full-on racism was taught right in school. Cigarettes were thought to cure asthma. <laughs> Asthma, a hundred years ago. Society believed that you could shake your fat off. A hundred years ago, they made these machines where if you went in the machine, you would put this belt around your waist and it would shake you and it would shake your fat off. Now, before you think that's too funny, Taylor Swift believes this too. How many of you got that? She sang Shake It Off, remember? So um, some people, a hundred years ago, most women's magazines were saying that you should develop an eating disorder to look good. These are things that we thought as humans. And so we'll answer this question as well. Does it make sense to trust ourselves or does it make sense to trust God? Because throughout history, we've said and done some pretty dumb things that are outright silly to horribly evil. But somebody else might ask the same question. Pastor Mark, does the Bible not communicate some of those things as well? And so it makes sense that you and I should answer that question, that we should figure that out together, that we should discover whether this old book is just an old book or if it is the actual words of God that we should trust with our life. One of the verses that is near and dear to my heart when I think about this and when I think about trusting the Lord is Colossians 2.8, and I want us to look at it just for a minute this morning. And I'd like us to look at it in several versions. I'm going to read it to us in several versions because um, it, it shows uh, just the true meaning here. So Colossians 2.8. If you're there with me, you're in chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 8. NIV says it like this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The New Living Translation. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than on Christ. The message. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words. That's never me, right? I don't know any big words. <laughs> Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual 
double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spiritual beings. But that's not the way of Christ. New King James. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. What I'm embarking on over the next year that we do together is that we discover in our culture what are the things that are deceiving us? What are the things that are trying to capture our lives, that are trying to imprison our thinking, and that are trying to manipulate us on a regular daily basis to get us to believe them instead of Jesus? Now, let me explain this just in a kind of a historical interpretation. So Paul would have been saying to the writers and the readers of Colossians, don't believe the hype. Listen to me. Don't believe the hype the Roman government and the Roman marketing machine is always telling you. All of it's focused on this world and the pleasure of this world rather than on Jesus. See, in Paul's day, the Roman emperor was considered a god. And if you did not embrace the Roman emperor or trust him completely, and, and if you believed that there was another God that reigned above it all over the universe, over Rome, and over every heart, then he'd throw you to the lions. And that's why between the first and third century, hundreds of thousands of Christians were tortured and killed and martyred for their faith. Because they would stand and say, no, Jesus is above you. I recognize that I live in your land and in your country, but Jesus is bigger than you. And I'm going to encourage us over this next year to, to, to embark upon something that would say that as well. That as great as America is and as much as I love it and as cool as I like living here, Jesus reigns above the United States. And he's above it all. He's the Lord, and he will reign. Now look at the beginning of this verse. It says about our lives and our thinking that it's actually possible for you and I to be taken captive, enslaved, that somehow we are dazzled and cheated and our thinking is not our own anymore. And it's Jesus who sets us free. Now, how does this happen? Paul tells us how it happens. It happens through hollow and deceptive philosophy. It happens through empty philosophy, through high-sounding arguments, through intellectual double-talk and endless arguments and empty deceit, empty lies. See, philosophy is man's idea of how to live, and Paul's calling it out. Now, here's what you need to know. Historically, the Romans and the Greeks did this really well. They loved to study philosophy. 
In fact, in almost every Roman, major Roman city across the empire, you would find a hall of thinking. You would find some sort of large room where men and women could just go. Actually, not, that's not true. Mostly men. Women were normally not invited because, well, men were better than women and women didn't know how to think. And so um, men would hang out in these rooms and they would, they would talk about hollow and deceptive philosophies and they'd, they'd come up with great sounding arguments and intellectual double talk and frankly, sometimes just complete empty lies and deceit. And as a Roman or as a Greek, you would buy into this. It would filter its way down into culture. And before you knew it, you were someone that was living your life based purely on human tradition, the principles of this world, or superstitious spiritual beings in Greek and Roman mythology. That's what Paul is saying. I'm calling that out. I'm calling out Greek and Roman mythology. I don't believe in superstitious spiritual beings. I believe in a spiritual being who actually lived on our planet. And that every one of us, myself and lots of other people, we saw him with our own eyes. We saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle. We saw him die on a cross and we saw him alive after he died. This is not a myth. This is not a mythological being. This is a real person who really lived, who really died and really came back to life. This is the person that I'm talking about. And not only did he come here to earth, he's also above it all. He reigns over everything. This is Jesus. This is the one I'm introducing you to. And so Paul says to these believers in Colossians, to Colossae, who have just come into the faith, who have just become to believe in Jesus Christ, who are now walking out of their Roman and Greek mythological ideas, hey, don't be fooled. Trust in the Lord. Now that's not always so easy. In fact, I've noticed that this concept of trusting God, it's getting more and more difficult for us every day. And let me, let me conclude with four reasons that I believe this is becoming more and more difficult for us. The first reason is because the loudest voices in our culture are not talking about a relationship with Jesus. So right now in our day, 2022, you and I talk about wanting to be people that trust in Jesus. The loudest voices in our culture are not talking about him. The loudest voices in our culture, media, news, music, movies, government, CEO of companies, education, they're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about other things. They're talking about philosophies of human tradition in our world today. Second, Christian values, I believe, are under attack at most levels of education. This is the second reason. So when you and I uh, start kindergarten, and maybe you make it all the way through a doctoral thesis, that entire time in our culture now today, Christian values are under attack. And so the values that we believe are true and the values that God asks us to trust are not embraced. In fact, many times the opposite is taught 
And so you and I grow up as our brains are forming and thinking and growing and coming up with ideas and we're at our most influential time of our life, our culture and our world has left Jesus out of the conversation. And so if you're a Christian student and you bring up a biblical concept in school, there's a good chance that a teacher will respond negatively to those comments. And if you go to higher education and you go to college, there's going to be a really good possibility that you're going to attend a class where the teacher is supposed to be teaching math and they're talking about how awful God is and just outright coming out and saying it. And so there are, the challenge for you and I right now is Christian values are also under attack at most levels of education. Third, many, if not most, high levels of leadership in our country are not interested in Christianity or desire to completely snuff Christianity out of our culture. So the leaders of our country are beginning to want nothing to do with God. And so the policies and the philosophy that filter down from the top to the bottom are void of godly values. And then fourth, the philosophies and ways of living that we've embraced as a culture at the bottom are now different from the principles that we find in God's word. This makes it very, very difficult for you and I to trust the Lord. And we can see in our culture at the bottom, you know, we've got leadership that are challenging God, and we've got culture, the top to the bottom, bottom to the top. Now, our country does things both ways, but mostly we've seen since the 60s, culture has been changing. And as a result, now here we sit several generations later, the culture that has changed are now the leaders. And so as a result, you and I are stuck in the middle trying to love Jesus and serve Jesus, and the culture and the leadership want nothing to do with him. And so you and I live in a very challenging time. But the challenging time that we live in is no different than any other challenging time. We're living in a time just like a Christian in Colossae who would walk out into the market to go buy an orange and would, be, would say, I don't know if I can talk about Jesus to this guy at the orange counter because why? Because I might get thrown to the lions. We're no different. But I would also say that these are the times as well where the church can thrive and grow. Revival can happen. The miracles of Jesus can come back into the church. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit can move in us mightily so that people all around us begin to trust in Jesus too because they see the simple gospel in you and in me. And so I'm going to ask you to go on this journey with me over the next year. And I'm going to ask you to go deep. And I'm going to ask you to stay there for a while. Do you ever remember when you were a kid? This was something I did as a kid. Maybe, maybe you didn't. But we did this all the time when I was a kid. And, and it was um, probably because we grew up where it was really hot every day. But we'd swim at the pool all the time. And one of the things we did as boys 
almost every day was we tried to see if we could jump in the pool at one end and stay underwater all the way to the other end. Remember those days? Now, do you remember that feeling after about three quarters of the way through when it was really difficult and all you wanted to do was what? Surface. But there was something in me, probably because I'm just competitive and had to beat the guy next to me or beat myself or beat my own body, I always said, I'm going to make it to the wall. I'm going to stay deep. Even though I want to come up, I'm not going to. I'm going to stay deep until I touch the wall. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do, to stay deep. To stay at that place all year long where the Holy Spirit's doing something really powerful in you. And, and my hope is by the end of the year, every single area of our life has been completely and totally submitted to the one who reigns above it all. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we sang and we believe this morning that it's true that you reign above it all. It's not even something that we can really debate. It's just a statement of truth. But what's amazing, Lord, is that you give us free will. Even though you reign above it all, and even though you know what's absolutely best for our lives, you let us choose. And that's love. That's because your love and your grace and your freedom are more powerful than you forcing something upon us. Lord, even though we, we are noticing that we live in a time where lots of people are choosing not to live for you, we want to be different. We want to be people that will say, I trust you in every area of my life. So Holy Spirit, from this day forward, would you be with us? Would you help us as we dive deep and stay there? Would you help us as we talk about challenging topics? Would you help us as we approach um, biblical thought and cultural thought in a very responsible and healthy, non-judgmental way? To get to a place where we can choose whether to live your way or our own way. Jesus, that's where we're heading. And we pray that you would be in the middle of this, that Holy Spirit, your presence and your power would lead us every step of the way. We give you thanks and praise that you're always with us, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. Lord, I also want to pray for those in this room or maybe someone that's watching. You're wrestling with this right now. It's just where you are, and it's a great place where you're just wondering in your life, do I trust God? Am I going to believe in Jesus with my life? Who is this guy 
And what should I do with them? I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray that you would you'd be, be with us in this journey as we get to know Jesus more and as we get to know someone that loves you very much. And my prayer for you is that in the very near future, you'd be saying yes to him too. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. In the mighty name of our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Good to see you. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.